wouldn't doubt a man of the gospel, would you? Of course. That's the first man I doubt. <laughs> I'll be damned. Looks like I came to the right place after all. Welcome to Lost and Found and Rewound, a podcast with three men who lived 2.1 miles away from each other for eight straight years, but waited till they lived <laughs> hundreds of miles from each other to become friends. I am Chris Lost. I'm Found Jim. And I'm Rick Rewound. And on the topic of miles, I have a housekeeping item. On the last episode, I misstated the distances we live from one another. <laughs> Rick lives 117 miles from Jim. I live 499 miles from Jim, and I live 381 miles from Rick, and I'm glad that I've cleared that up. Triangulation. I'm sorry to have gotten that wrong. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking in terms of security, I don't put my birthday on Facebook, and so sometimes people wish me a happy birthday at, at the wrong time, and then there's a person who knows my birthday and sent me a message on Facebook saying, why are people wishing you a happy birthday? Do I have your birthday wrong? And I said, no, you have my birthday right, but there's no reason I'm going to go out on Facebook and correct my birth date publicly because that's one more piece of data. If everyone thinks my birthday is this other day and Facebook thinks it's another day and I don't tell Facebook, maybe that's one little tiny you know, thing I have to make myself more blurry to the the data god. Yeah, but the truth is we're all screwed. Oh, yeah, totally. I mean, that doesn't help. I did take my birthday off Facebook because I didn't want all those birthdays. I didn't want people to feel burdened by having to say happy birthday, and I didn't want to have to say thank you to all the yeah. people for saying happy birthday. And it's not, you know, I, yeah, it's not It's not real. <laughs> I they know because Facebook reminded them. It's not right. because it's a special moment in their lives. It's some weird facebook thing i put people's birthdays on my outlook calendar and then i make yeah. it a point to be reminded and wish them happy birthday on their it's, birthdays yeah that's nice i think it's nicer than the facebook reminder it is today we're entering the third quarter and second half of our 12 film list boy man you're you're <laughs> big into the numbers all of a sudden <laughs> and so far we're still friends <laughs> what's are you what's on the spreadsheet for today <laughs> How are the numbers looking? They look good. They, <laughs> I did some V lookups to check our numbers. I think there are a lot of things that my students hate me for when I'm talking, but I think the, probably the one thing they hate most is when I go off on the uh, spreadsheet lecture about how <laughs> it's probably the most boring thing in the world, but if you want to do anything in the music business or any business or anything, I said, I'm a teacher now and I use spreadsheets. <laughs> you know, and it's like, and, and they're just like, why... Why am I here? Why am I paying for this? But it's like every student I say that to, and I've said it, there's one student who's a programmer and I was like, you better accept it now. He's like, I don't want to, I don't want to do, I don't want to work with Excel. I don't want to do that. And I'm like, either you start now or you start, you might as well accept that it's going to be a part of your life for the do rest you, of your life. Do you not want to use a Phillips screwdriver? <laughs> right, Too bad. Exactly. 
my my daughter came home and we helped her do her budget and i taught her spreadsheets she's notoriously like me and i was teaching her formulas and making different tabs for sub sub summing and stuff and she was like this is cool this is great this is cool and my wife was like ooh, ooh. <laughs> exactly yeah but uh, i i was at a um a music video film festival we actually were we played we were the featured band at a music video wow. film festival and we showed one of our videos and they asked us what's the most important thing you can do <laughs> <laughs> to make a an animated video, which is what we were showing. Yeah, yeah. And I said, this is going to sound really boring, folks, because I like, you know, hearing this guy in this rock band who just showed his, like, cool animated video. I was like, you got to get your workflow straight. <laughs> if you don't have your workflow straight, and, like, the people were like, no, that's super interesting. What do you mean? And I told the story of how the animator was just a, a beautiful animator, but was a disaster when it came to getting her AE files straightened out and her all her, like, animation straightened out. So I actually had to spend weeks running through the nests of things that were all named the same thing and <laughs> re-nesting them. Yeah, and, yeah. Because I had to fix her animation. She couldn't do it herself because she had gotten herself in such a mess. Yeah. So it's... spreadsheets and workflows, kids. Yeah. So important. So important, everyone. <laughs> I know. It's, it is important. So third podcast I'm going to start working on. It's either going to be cybersecurity or maybe just cybersecurity and spreadsheets. Just branch <laughs> off to another. Let's just do, kids. yeah, the next podcast will all be on spreadsheets. Right, exactly. <laughs> kind of first season movies, second season spreadsheet strategies. <laughs> different different tasks. Oh boy. They my dad um who I vowed never to be like used to build a chart like cuz you know this is back before computers, yeah. well not before computers but before but, people yeah. had them. Right. And he'd build a chart to track the direction in which he mowed his lawn so he could <laughs> mow it in a different direction every time and wow. My, my mother would say you're just like your father, you know with those charts. And I was like I was like my mom's so crazy. I'll never be like my father. And then one day I was like building a database to calculate the surface area of my house so I could paint it. <laughs> <laughs> and my wife goes, hmm, that's kind of like building a chart to mow your lawn, isn't it? I was like, God damn it. Oh, well. Yeah. The films I've seen between this film and last film was only one film. I saw Halloween with my son, and boy, it does not hold up. It was, <laughs> that's too bad. Rick had said this, oh, well, maybe on a different podcast, <laughs> not on our podcast, but you had said that there's certain things that are so troped oh, yeah. that it completely ruins them and that was the case of Halloween that like my son was like watching it and he was like oh that's like this meme or that's like yeah. and it was like he was com it was like not a he was laughing through the whole film I'm like what are you laughing about I'd be scared <laughs> shitless if I were your age watching this film and he had just seen it all yeah. every image either scary or made fun of it's like a hyper version of Mad Magazine right so Mad Magazine is how I I didn't see Clockwork Orange I didn't see Apocalypse Now probably I, like all these movies that I knew I kind of knew what they were about but it was be through Mad Magazine right? right now that's now it's like an even more removed and dense thing where it's like yeah it, they're like memes and references and everything like that but totally unhinged from the or original or source like, like Warner Brothers cartoons right. when you you're watching them in the 70s and they're all these yeah. weird references from the 40s like stars some of them are yeah, like obscure then, but you know yeah like Jimmy you, Durante yeah, Jimmy Durante in, in real life or like yeah, a movie 20 like, years oh, that's, later that's yeah that, you go what, oh but, that's what that Looney Tunes reference was who yeah. Bugs Bunny was talking to yeah him. yeah like how, how would I ever know who Jimmy Durante was it was through those cartoons <laughs> he was in a car commercial in the 70s right oh that's the, true what car was it He's talked about his schnozzola. Chatta <laughs> chatta yeah. What films have you seen? In I the don't. Last I'm thinking seven of, days. I don't think I've seen any. I watched 
I know maybe I didn't talk about it, but <laughs> I watched this documentary called Artifact in, in a Classroom Environment, which is directed by Bartholomew Cubbins, not his real name. <laughs> it's about Jared Leto's band, 30 Seconds to Mars, and their, their struggles with EMI after their big hit record and making a new record. And it's, it's Bartholomew Cubbins is Jared Leto's secret his, oh, pseudonym. His, yeah, pseudonym. And so he, it's a, direct, a movie directed by him about the artistic struggles. But it's great because it's got, inter, you know, Irving Azoff is their manager and he's talking about how evil the music industry is and how evil these contracts are. And, you, you know, if you know anything about Irving Azoff, it's like, oh, he, he also ran record labels that had, had the exact same contracts and everything like that. And it was about to jump to Live Nation and, and run that for a while. So it was like, like it's such a strange movie, but it's a great, you know, it's, it's you have to watch a lot of Jared Leto being emotional and being a tortured artist okay, and you have to listen to the songs but then you also get a lot of really insight into you know the whole game that's played with the music industry when somebody has a hit record and then all of a sudden they realize that they're not making any money and then they have to renegotiate their contract and at that time it went to an extreme where emi sued 30 seconds to mars which is an unusual thing usually it's the artist sues the label and then the label just sits you know basically delays them for five years so it kills their careers right, right? <laughs> and yeah. then this was this the the label wound up suing them back so that was interesting yeah I did, you know i started out in the music industry 27 years ago on my own path not knowing anything and not being successful in it at all but now 27 years later as i've learned all the things that the horrible things that the music industry does i'm like oh I'm pretty proud of the way i did it. i know <laughs> right, exactly. i never made any money but People can't really call me an asshole. Well, right. they call me an asshole, but they can't right. say that I screwed them out of anything. Or yeah, the only thing they can blame you for, which is what typically happens if you do everything on the up and up, is they just they blame you for not them doing, not being famous, right? Not doing right. enough, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, but then I've had enough examples of how that's not the case. <laughs> right. I mean, it's just like I, know. I mean, yes. I mean, I should have spent if I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars. They're right. And the done, records yes. would have been very and popular. Done morally ambiguous things. It probably would have done a lot better but. in the service of the record, like, right? Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly. right. Yeah, I've certainly done morally ambiguous things, <laughs> but they but they weren't to my credit, all, all to my discredit. <laughs> right. Exactly, but that was a long time ago. The film we watched today, Jim. Jim, did you watch? Oh, anything? sorry, oh, no, Jim. No, I didn't. I'm I sorry, Jim. It was only a week. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe. Did yeah, you see I did not see anything. Anything out the window that looked kind of <laughs> neat? <laughs> no. Well, it snowed. That's <laughs> <laughs> true. Halloween. That was weird. It was no. weird. <laughs> Today we watched The Ballad of Cable Hogue. How do you spell that? C-A-B-L-E-H-O-G-U-E. Mm-hmm. And it's about two smart brothers making fun of their dumb, undereducated <laughs> friend. What? Wait. That's your diary. You're reading your diary, not your notes. Leaving him in the wild. Oh, are those guys brothers? I don't know. I, I assume they were. <laughs> really? Oh, I didn't even think of that. Leaving them in the wild. For I think you're projecting, man. Yeah. Right. For four days without water. He finds water, friendship, love, guts, and forgiveness. <laughs> and at the peak of his joy, he's killed by an automobile. <laughs> the machine that was the subject of the city preacher's sermon earlier in the film. Mm-hmm. Not sure if you guys caught that. I didn't. No. But in truth, it was all a dream. He died of thirst on the third day when he was abandoned by the two brothers in the desert. <laughs> Is that true? Is that that's your interpretation, huh? That's my interpretation of the wow. film. Mm-hmm. That's pretty deep. So what that that scene 
they just didn't have time to shoot that last scene where you see him desiccated in the middle of the desert. Well, at one point, Stella Stevens says, you'd leave your desert, Hogue? Wow. And he said, hell, I've already gone. Wow. When she comes back for him. Yeah. And then the end scene, when he's lying in bed dying with all his friends around him, I struck me as a uh, an ode to the Wizard of Oz. Yeah. And in the Wizard of Oz, if you'll remember, it was all a dream. Anyway, that's a theory that he that he doesn't really truly live. Yeah. I could, through the points I can see film. that now. Yeah, I don't know. What did you guys think of the film today? I've got to rethink it all since now it's it's <laughs> just some kind of Dallas season three kind of flashback <laughs> thing, right? Was that what season of Dallas was that? I'm not sure, but yeah. I don't know the number, oddly enough. <laughs> but I know it was Bobby Ewing who right. came back to life. I think it was Bobby Ewing. Actually, it was, it was in 1986, and I know that because I was at a trivia night over the weekend, and the question was, is what year? I think, I believe, that seems really late, though, doesn't it? Six seems really late for Bobby Ewing to be coming back, that yeah. all being a dream. So now I'm starting to wonder if I'm confusing two trivia questions. Continue. It could be. What, what were your thoughts on this film? I hadn't seen it in the longest time. I'll, I will say that halfway through the film, I was feeling a little, uh-oh, about it. Because <laughs> I hadn't seen it since I was in my very early 20s when my perspective on things probably wasn't as progressive. And it did get a little pervy yeah. in the middle of the film. And mm-hmm. I I was watching the scene where uh, they kept flashing back to Stella Stevens' cleavage, and I'm like, hmm, is this what people mean by the male gaze? (laughs) (laughs) I think it's, yeah, the male gaze made very literal, right? I mean, it couldn't get extreme. Yeah. But then as it progressed and got to the ending, I realized why I love the film so much. What what, what were your thoughts? And you guys are happy. I don't care if you guys hated it. I'm fine to hear that. What I found fascinating was, I think, I'm pretty sure Stella Stevens was not wearing makeup in the film. And this seems like a totally superficial thing, but I don't think I've ever seen her in a non kind of glamorous, but even any, any actress, even actresses that are playing women out West, having that strange washed out, no makeup look, that's the thing I noticed the most about it. And so in some ways that, that really got me for some reason, like that kind of choice, her making that choice or someone making that choice and her going along with it. I thought was pretty profound. And I don't think I've seen that in lots of other films. I've seen actresses and actors look natural, right? But that there's an unnatural, natural look to that. This literally looked like she was not wearing makeup. Yeah, there's a way to do makeup to yeah. make it look like you're not wearing makeup. And that's not what was happening here. And she was not wearing makeup. That really, for some reason, really got me. Like, even films now, you don't see that. No. Even if a, somebody's like supposed to have been trapped in a room for a month. <laughs> exactly. They're wearing makeup. They're wearing the makeup of looking trapped in a room, not what, what it looks like when you're under, you know, lighting or in the sunlight without makeup, right? Which is, is more washed out. I also noticed she was a pretty young woman in this, but she was wrinkled around her. She would wrinkle, her face would wrinkle when she would smile. Yeah. All that stuff. And I thought, really fascinating. And I thought, boy, she looks beautiful. I kind of like that. I mean, yeah. I, I and I think it was refreshing that, you know, she was kind of all out there. Yeah. That's kind of her character, though, right? She was yeah. She was a, a prostitute. I don't know if we can say that. I mean, she, that was her old, she was an old West call girl or whatever. No, and, I think you would call it a care. prostitute in those days, in right. the parlance of their times. Well, I heard, I was reading IMDb and they had her described as a sex worker. It just struck me as funny. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> should we modernize this term <laughs> right. from this film? Uh, but I do, I thought she was 
proud of who she was. He didn't care that she was a prostitute. He said she was a human being at one point, which, you know, I, I, there's a lot about redemption and forgiveness and actually empathy and the human struggle in this film mm-hmm. that I really liked. I thought was there on screen for on purpose and I dug it. No, yes. I'm going to let Jim say something. <laughs> yeah, I know. It, it's definitely a, an unusual Sam Peckinpah movie. I, yeah, I never saw it before. And yeah, there's almost very little violence. And yeah, it, it, it like you said at the beginning, you were like worried, like you hadn't seen it in a while. And you're like, uh-oh, you know, it is kind of, there's parts of it that are very like corny and I mean, kind of tri- like the weird film tricks, you know, like the, like fast speed, like the uh, Benny Hill you know, running. Yeah. the Yeah. Benny Hill thing. <laughs> like there's a bunch of that. And then the, he looks at the dollar bill with the, the chief, the head kind of winks at him you know it's like this Googly weird eyes, yeah it's like yeah. he's you could say he's like kind of hallucinating or whatever but he's not you know he's not out in the desert he's just in the town and it just makes this weird cartoonish like it the, the dollar bill is winking back at him and that was really strange you know they're like those don't you know kind of take take you out of the movie or, or they're just gimmicky jokey car- cartoonish things but but all the stuff you're talking about is yeah there's there's a lot more to this movie than that you know it's 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 a very it's not a typical Western at all. Yeah, it's like, it's more about these these uh, very kind of human characters. It's not, yeah, they're not, it's not really a cartoon Western. <laughs> and is it, it's, it's before McCabe and Mrs. Miller, right? So I'm thinking of McCabe and Mrs. Miller has that weird, right? That's the one with Julie Christie and Warren Beatty. Is yeah, that right? Yeah. Right. I feel like that, and that's got the uh, Leonard Cohen songs in it, and it's got the strange, like, not... It's more character study, right? Western. Mm-hmm. And so thinking about that in terms of the timeline, because when you, when you started describing it, I'm like, oh, that's what everybody said was revolutionary about McCabe and Mrs. Miller, right? Or that era of mm-hmm. new Western kind of stuff. But then you see the possibility that Sam Peckinpah was kind of working on those ideas, even the musical ideas, and it didn't quite, <laughs> it didn't quite all come together, I feel like, yeah. right? It's like an experimental film and what you're talking about. It's kind of like his experimental film, because there's also the split screen stuff. It's like he's mm-hmm. he's kind of experimenting with things here. Yeah. Whereas the Wild Bunch, the year before, it's got the pushing the boundaries of violence. So beyond the uh, Bonnie and Clyde going f- farther than that went. It's kind of like, oh, that I, I feel like, oh, Bonnie and Clyde opened the gates. And then he was like, oh, I can, I can go even farther with this right and and does that in in the wild bunch it's but i i'm tr- i'll have to watch the wild bunch and i've watched it. <laughs> yeah this is the first time i saw this movie cable hogue but wild bunch i've seen a lot but i haven't watched it recently but it it i, I think it's pretty traditional in terms of it's a straight western straight yeah i took my son to see it at the elmo draft house just this year because it was the 50th anniversary of its release and it was premiered in the building that our Alamo draft houses currently resides in. So oh, it was wow. in the same theater, which we didn't know. And I was worried about Thomas, you know, he's a young kid and I hated Westerns when I was a kid. So I dragged my son to a Western, I'm sure. And he loved it. In fact, mm-hmm. I mentioned it the other day. He's like, Oh yeah, I remember that film. That was a great film. And it is a great film. But, but it does, it does, Western. it is experimental in, or, or kind of pushes the boundaries with the use of slow motion and, and kind of the way it's, yeah, that's all of the kind of peck and paw things. That's that, the only technical trick, right? Yeah, slow motion. But the rest that, of it is that was a pretty western. big thing, I think, at the time, right? And I, I, I'm 
now I'm trying to remember my my Peck and Paw films, but I, I feel like he, that was when he started really playing around with that. So this is, in some ways, kind of an extension where he's like, oh, he's playing around. Well, it's like, oh, yeah, you do slow motion one movie, you do undercranking, you speed up stuff in the other movie, right? right. It's, it's like obvious motion. he's hidden some kind of era where he was experimenting. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's what's interesting to me about it is seeing it playing around with the form it's also you think about the wild bunch and it has the characters and everything like that but this is the violence i guess of the wild bunch is the the, the part that everybody loves right or, or i don't know if they love but it it like keeps keeps the motor running right it, the character stuff is well, what the, a- the action arguably yeah. the action the violence i think people didn't realize that violence was a mechanism used to make action more intense yeah i like to think of it that way that it wasn't the I, do, I don't like the violence. I like how it sort of depicts action. It makes right. the action more real. And it's that that idea that, oh, you can have an action film, but then you can have characters and everything like that, whereas this is more of a character film, and there's action, but it's not the engine. Although I thought this film had less death in it. I, didn't, I forgot about the two people that he kills mm-hmm. in it. I, I thought that he was the only person that died in it, which is interesting because this film sat between... The Wild Bunch and Straw Dogs, two right. very sort of vindictive and violent films. And this one was sort of his sort of peaceful, it was kind of like a poem, you know, in between, yeah. sandwiched in between two very violent and... Uh, it's his conversation. <laughs> it is, Even yeah, it the is The conversation, conversation is, yeah. is violent, though, and bloody, though. But it's, it's, it's like, yeah, those, those in-between kind of movies that directors sometimes make that are more poetic, or if they've had some success... Although that's yeah, the, I don't think that was Peckinpah's case, right? It's kind of like he this this is the movie that kind of threw everything off, went over budget, and kind of ruined his his momentum. It well, yeah, I think so. I think this is when his people just started not to get what he was trying to do because Straw Dogs was next, and it was very. I don't know if it made a lot of money. I think it did maybe because of Dustin Hoffman. I know this film cost. Um, it was a success, sort of. I mean, it made back its money. So it cost $3.7 million to make. It made $5 million. It won the Cinema Writers Circle Award in Spain for Best Foreign Film. It's the only award it won in Spain. It won Best Foreign Film when it was released two years later. Not not very well. I guess it was pretty well received. But, oh, critics, 93% on Rotten Tomato. It was one of his best-reviewed films, along with Ride the High Country, which was a 93, Major Dundee, which is 97. What? Yeah, I've never seen that film. Major Dundee, 97? At 97%. Oh, okay. Tomatoes. <laughs> Major Dundee. Okay, I'm thinking of Crocodile Dundee. Okay. No. I got, in 1997, I got super confused all of a sudden. Yeah, no, and then The Wild Bunch also was 93% on Rotten yeah. Tomatoes. So um, a pretty well critically reviewed film, but didn't make a ton of money. Not as much as Wild Bunch. Speaking of perviness and everything like that, I mean, is this the movie that kind of basically established David Warner as a creep? <laughs> yeah. I Which, feel like it who is. Who is David Warner? David Warner's yeah, the, the, the British priest. actor. Oh. Yeah. I thought he was great. Oh, he's an amazing actor. <laughs> but the, the, yeah, the whole scene with him. With the, uh, the widow. Attacking the, oh, the yeah. woman. <laughs> yeah, basically. Yeah. Or, uh, One of the scenes that made praying. you uncomfortable about, oh, is this is this the movie I thought it was? Yeah, when he locks the door on her <laughs> right. and then creeps her, although she seems 
okay with everything that was going on. <laughs> she's trusting because he's a priest, which he's obviously not because he's wearing black leather gloves, right? <laughs> so that's that's like, if David Warner wasn't creepy enough, it's like, oh, how how maybe people won't understand that he's not really a priest or there's something going on. Let's let's have him wear black leather gloves too. Oh, okay. But now now we know. You're well, a creepy priest. He had the motorcycle gloves before he got the motorcycle. <laughs> motorcycle, yeah. No, no, those were different. Those were even bigger gloves. He got bigger. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did he? After, he, had, yeah. he had, oh, he had, had those like big gloves gauntlets. On. Yeah. That was interesting. And he had a sidecar on his yeah. motorcycle. <laughs> the, the second time through this film, this is the second time I've seen it, I was starting to look for all the metaphors. I was like, oh, yeah, mm-hmm. this is an allegory for his death. He died in the desert and... What's the sidecar mean in the motorcycle? Mm. You know, because it's a black motorcycle with a sidecar, but it's you know, it was probably just because he couldn't ride a motorcycle in the desert, <laughs> right, so right, they had to have true. something hold yeah. him up. Um, but yeah, I really started trying to look for symbols, and there was a black chauffeur. Yeah, Stella Stevens had a black chauffeur. Yeah, in that beautiful sort of chitty chitty bang bang kind of car <laughs> that she had. David, so D- David Warner, he just is so good at being evil that he just kind of got trapped and i'm just curious I, i'm gonna have to go look and and see if this is when it happened this movie just kind of locked him in stone he came to hollywood this is probably when he came to hollywood and it was like he's in this movie and it's like you're a bad guy that's it <laughs> i don't know if he was um i mean i see that right i see mm-hmm. i see how he was a creep but i don't, I, I i think the point of his character was that people were flawed you know i think it's just like or they he was just a very he was a he was a victim to his own will like mm-hmm. he had no tact or anything because <laughs> yeah. i mean he was I, I was trying to figure out what the relationship was between cable Hogue and him because like i thought they were friends but they weren't really friends like they would drink together and yeah. he did take care of his land when cable went to go out and claim it and he, he kind of disappeared half of the moot back, like the last half. Of the to go have sex with the married woman. <laughs> um, it seemed like it was weeks he was gone. Or he, I don't right. know. It's like, well, yeah. That's he the showed thing, up again. The timeline of this movie, I'm a little upset about the timeline, right? So, like, where it's three years, the movie's three years, and then mm-hmm. Stella Stevens was at his house for three weeks. Right. I feel like it should have been longer. <laughs> I yeah. feel like she should have been there for a year the whole story should have taken place over five or yeah, six or ten years. I didn't catch that it was three years yeah. at all. I didn't know it was that it's long. It's like the, the guy's, he said like the guy's route, he's been waiting three years for this guy to come oh, back yeah, and kill him right. or something, yeah. you know, and then it's just like, oh, three years, come on. Yeah, it was it was odd. I mean, it plays more into my um, my theory that it was all these goofy all three, things, like yeah. the, the running, the speed running, the dollar winking at him, all these sort yeah. of surreal, the fact that the, uh, the Western... Um, building didn't track, <laughs> which was annoying me. And then annoyed Rick, our OCD was going going off as we we're trying to figure out. Well, if he goes in that door, and then it just didn't make any sketch sense. Sketch out the floor plan. Yeah, got to do that. The movie. None of it made gotta sense. Got to chart the saloon. <laughs> this is. Um, I've watched a lot of Peck and Paw documentaries because I'm pretty fascinated with him. I really like the way in this film. I think sort of characterizes it the best. I just like the way he. You said it, Jim, is a very human film. I think mm-hmm. I like the way that he characterizes people and and he just sort of says, you know, this is the way some people are, right? And I, I kind of like that. Um, 
like that view. But the in these documentaries I've watched, there's two films where they've said that the main actor was essentially playing Peckinpah, was basically mm. acting exactly like Peckinpah, and Peckinpah didn't notice. So the rest <laughs> of the, everybody else, because he made a lot of films with a lot of people that he was friends with. So, uh, and a lot of these actors were in a lot of his different films, but they were like, oh, wow, he's just playing Sam. Does Sam get it? And it was this film and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia, oh, okay. Warren, Warren Oates. Oates. Yeah was basically just acting like Peckinpah. And, uh, so he's, and if you, those two characters are fairly similar. They're very capable losers. In some way, they sort of make things work for themselves. It's like the Woody Allen effect. Anytime Willie, Woody Allen hires an actor to play a 70 or 80-year-old man, can't play a 30-year-old, right? Then, then that actor winds up playing Woody Allen, right? Does a very bad Woody, Woody Allen uh -huh. imitation, kind of. <laughs> it's like when you have a director that's so... Um, so powerful of a character themselves, yeah. right? It's almost like the actor can't help but become, <laughs> you know, absorb the director. And the director is going to reinforce it because the director, yeah, without knowing, is like, oh, yeah, I like that. Right. Yeah, like, right. Oh, I like that person. That's me. <laughs> and they don't even know it's them, right? Here, the difference being that Edward Norton probably didn't hang out with Woody Allen <laughs> for 10 years prior to <laughs> right. making every Woody says I love you. But in, in theory, he probably did, you know, virtually like watching all the films oh, right beforehand. Yeah. yeah, I guess that's a good yeah. point. It's a really yeah. good point. Directors are narcissists. I think that's the summation of that <laughs> point there. Kansas City. Food-wise, a city famous for its barbecue, but that's about to change. My name is W. Dave Keith, host of the podcast Taco the Town, and I believe that Kansas City is one of the most underrated, underappreciated, up-and-coming taco towns in the USA. On Taco the Town, we will shine a light on all the amazing tacos Kansas City has to offer. Kansas City is a great taco town filled with a variety of untapped taco stylings and flavors, and on the Taco the Town podcast, we won't stop until we've tasted every taco in the town. No taco table will go unturned. Each episode, we review a new taco joint with a special guest we share taco memories discuss taco topics and put tacos to the test we check the latest stories in taco news and no taco is off the table on taco the town if you love tacos like i do you're gonna love taco the town available on itunes stitcher podbean and google play that's taco the town Jim, any 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 thoughts? What what did this oh. film evoke in you? Well, I don't know. Yeah, you're talking about music here. Like the that was another kind of odd thing about it was the weird folk kind of music didn't really mesh with me. It was kind of just distracting. I, I found it or was strange. The each like the, there were yeah. They, well, there was even a a duet like Butterfly Weekends or whatever what was it Mornings Butterfly, Butterfly Mornings. Mornings. Yeah, that's right. Like. Uh, Jason Robards and Stella Stevens sing together. It was like became a musical in the middle. That was a little weird, but it was fine. But the music, the music was just strange. Like a West, it's obviously, yeah, it's not a typical Western. So I, I guess it's better not just, you know, having cliche kind of Western music, whatever that is, you know, but it was kind of like, uh, um, when did, you know, uh, which Cassidy and the Sundance Kid come out? Was that after this? It would have been right before it, I think. 69, 
So Which that Cassie and Sundance Kid was sixty nine, also yeah, right? close rain, to raindrops. Keep oh, right, that, that became a weird thing. Modern, yeah. modern musical interludes in a eighteen hundreds movie, and this wasn't quite that weird, but the, it was just the weird kind of folky music sounded strange to me in a whatever late eighteen hundreds Western America. It was yeah, it sounded hippie. Yeah, it, it was like very hippie. It was almost. Almost Wicker Man like too. Some parts of it. <laughs> That's exactly. true. It was, that is true. It was fine. Full circle. Strange. There was a dialogue convention. I don't know if um, Rick, maybe you, you know what this is called, where two people are having a conversation, and um, it's a cohesive conversation, like uh, you know, of like three minutes of dialogue, but they do it over several different. Oh, scenes right like yeah. even jumping in time so it'd be like right. how was your day you know yeah and, and we're standing in a living room then the next thing is it was a great day yeah but we're out in the garage and you're fixing the car and then like <laughs> it's like well what did you have for lunch and then that's where we're staying on top of a skyscraper there's like <laughs> yeah. there's there's that um that convention i noticed was used in the president's analyst and i was going to point it out oh wow yeah 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 you're right and um it was also used in the film uh many times the film Beach Bum which is the most mm. recent Harmony Corinne film which is actually fantastic yeah I still haven't watched that those scenes were done really well and he did them intentionally and, and in his film it was like they'd literally be like on a jet ski then cut to like them having you know <laughs> orange juice or something just like the most bizarre jumps in time and, and situation but it's the exact that conversation is almost structured so that you know it's, it's, it's intentional yeah um, and it is the same thread so i don't know if that's called anything or if it, that's, it's got to be yeah or or at least who originated that idea right where you start yeah you start messing with time like that where you have so yeah it kind of goes back to that experimental thing it's like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna do experiment a bit i'm gonna try oh that's a cool you know thing i'm gonna try that out that, yeah. i didn't i that happened in this movie it did <laughs> they were yeah. built when they were building right yeah oh. Because they'd be right. in their long johns and then they'd be dressed again and then they'd be back in their long johns or the house would be a little further along. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah. it was all the same conversation. Right, right. And again, it, it's like a hint at this is all a dream. Yeah. I have to go back to um, Jacob's Ladder. I need to watch <laughs> Jacob's Ladder and look for all, if they did that in Jacob's Ladder right. as a trick to... But I'm reminded of the Dr. Strangelove quote is like, the whole point of this, though, is to tell them that you have it. You know, it's like it's like if it's going to be a dream and that's the whole idea, then at some point you've got to actually make that apparent. It doesn't work as a dream if you don't actually. It's art, Rick. It's, I know. It's are art. you saying exactly. that there are rules to art? I'm just saying <laughs> it's it's kind of it's kind of that idea, though. It, it is. It's that end funeral was so poetic, though. Yeah. And it was so beautiful and so strange, like right. And the like, whole his like whole death. Where did yeah? Like when in time did this happen? Like there. Yeah, it is all because he's he's like having his fake funeral. He's still alive, and they're all around him, like you said. And then yeah, and then all the jumps to like where did they get all their funeral clothes? Like yeah, Stella Stevens is just on a car driving to New Orleans, and oh, she just happens to have a her funeral. Well, Gown, her husband you know, died the week oh, earlier, so, so, so oh, she'd yeah. have it in her trunk. Or she so drove into possible. town. Sure. Right. Yeah, it could just be that they're not that far from the town. So that convention, though, is used in his, um, in the, in his the funeral speech. Because remember, the funeral right. speech oh, okay. starts yeah. at the bed, and then they yeah. jump to the actual funeral right. itself, yeah, which yeah. is actually, I right. thought, a pretty hard-hitting yeah. no, moment. Good. Yeah. And, and I was glad to see 
because I was a little worried. It's like, oh boy, these guys are going <laughs> to, I don't know why I recommended this film, but I was glad that that scene where he gets killed by the car hit you. It seemed like it hit you kind of hard because it hit me hard when I watched it. Were you just like, no, this can't happen from... Well, it just made me sad. Right. <laughs> and also it seems like a little bit of a overwrought metaphor. Yeah, you're getting hit Right, in the, the future, it. he's literally run, being run over. run over by a car, <laughs> which is the old west is dying. <laughs> and it and the automobile represents progress. And that's and, what, that's and what then most he gets killed by it. it. Yeah. Most people think that that's what the film is about. It's about the transition from the old west to the new west, which is what Butch Kansas City and the Sundance Kid was about. Yeah. yeah, and maybe it represents the loss of the 60s too, right? It's it's that the, I mean maybe that's what the greater metaphor is for all those films, right? It's like, oh, you know, this this magical time what we believed was this magical time but it's it wasn't and then it's it's gone away or like uh, macarthur park yeah <laughs> like somebody <laughs> left the cake out in the rain is that what that song's about right well and it could also be peck and paul worrying about his career he was transitioning you know he went from the wild bunch to this film to mm. straw dog so he he went from a western to a film that you know there was no western aspects to straw dog right. so it was a guy driving around in a modern day and so maybe it was the transition of him sort of killing oh, yeah. the Western version of Peck and Paw and moving into the, the Peck and Paw that has his heroes ride in on a car, mm-hmm. which is how I think Straw Dog starts as they drive up. Mm. But I don't know. That's probably reading too much. No, no, I don't think. I, no, because I think that was kind of like a funeral for the Western. And it died for a while. Yeah. Yeah. Um, should this film be lost? No, it's. Well, Does it have something to say, or is it just another film in a cadre of sixties films? It's, it's really unusual for him, like within Sam Peckinpah's <laughs> uh, work. You know, it's like uh, it's definitely that's what I found most interesting. How it's really seemed unlike a lot of most of the movies I've seen by him. So that that and that by itself is interesting. And there's stuff like I said I I didn't like or took me out of it like you know the music and the weird all the weird fast speed benny hill stuff you know but other than that there's plenty there that it's an interesting movie yeah it's one of my favorite films of his and i saw it um after i had seen almost all of his films i had yet to see um convoy and was it the Igers or osterman weekend i hadn't seen all sort of the the latter era films, but I'd seen most of all the ones, even I'd seen Cross of Iron and all that stuff. It's all the macho stuff. And then Mm -hmm. to see this, I was like, oh, this is, it seemed like he's like, well, I'm not all bullets and, you know, macho, although there was a lot of male stuff in there in this film, a lot of bromance or whatnot. (laughs) But uh, should this film be found, would you recommend this film to a co-worker I watching it in the middle of the film decided that the answer was no <laughs> <laughs> I was in the middle of the film I was worried about recommending it for this podcast <laughs> would you recommend it to someone on, at the grocery store Jim, <laughs> a young child Pulling it off the DVD rack at the uh, convenience store at the truck stop. <laughs> this is the movie you should see, young man. 
It features Whoa. a young Stella Stevens. <laughs> <laughs> Got a little too Adam Sandler there. <laughs> Pretty as a picture she is in this film. Her yeah. bosom. <laughs> supple bosom. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of... Yeah, this whole part with David Warner is really creepy and weird. And Yeah, it, it's... It's it's a strange. Some parts of it are strange, but it's uh, yeah. I don't know if I would really recommend it to anybody. But it just if well, I don't know. If somebody says to you, not a stranger, I wouldn't recommend yeah. it. Just I don't know. <laughs> just <laughs> anyone. Yeah. You couldn't. I mean, no. you. I I have rec. I said, have you ever seen Ballad of Kegel? <laughs> thinking it was this endearing, sort of peaceful film and. Um, should this film be rewound? Would you watch it again? I gotta, I gotta break down that that saloon set and the exterior <laughs> of the saloon set. So yeah, I'm gonna have to watch it again. Get a spreadsheet. Yep. Calculate the distance. Get my charts going. Do graph, the 3D rendering. Craft paper. Yeah. Map it out. <laughs> Do yeah. Get little little tiny cameras and try to place like little cardboard, <laughs> and try to figure out where all the shots are are happening. It doesn't work. It won't work. <laughs> I mean, just the whole... I, yeah, I definitely have to watch it again at some point. Well, I have to write down what you said, you know, the, the whole thing about it being him dying yeah. three days right at the beginning, and that's very interesting. So, yeah, I definitely have to watch it again at some point for that. Because <laughs> yeah, he was four days in the desert. Yeah. We were saying before <laughs> we start, started the podcast that you can only survive for three days, three days without, without water. water. Yeah. Well, that's just a rough, you know. Yeah, he was he, a he was, hardy. Yeah, he was a, a extra special. That's true. He had a conversation Grizzly with God. Pros- prospector. He, yeah, he could have survived. And it had Slim Pickens in it, too. That's yeah. like, it did. So it's always it's, nice to see him. <laughs> and uh, Struther Martin, yeah. uh, who I referenced just yesterday in a conversation with a young person <laughs> because they were talking about the Kevin Smith film tusk which apparently is somebody being turned into a walrus or something right and i said well there's this movie i saw when i was a kid called you know sssss right um snake sound and that's and i was like yeah it had this guy oh the guy from cool hand luke (laughs) struther martin and so struther martin who plays one of the the brothers that Apparently, brothers. I did not understand that. I thought they were just two oh, I don't vagrants. Know. I don't know if they were brothers. Yeah, and um, <laughs> you just thought they were vagrants. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> fellow vagrants. They weren't related. Where he turns, um, I think it's Dirk Benedict into a snake. He's Struther Martin's a crazy scientist, and he starts injecting Dirk Benedict with Was Struther Martin, the the thin one. No, the. The, the guy who talks oh, the like there. Oh, okay. We have a failure to communicate. <laughs> that guy. Oh. Found and I were on a tour once in a in a bus, and there were like 20 videotapes on the bus, right? And we sat there the whole trip, right, trying to connect the movies all together, you know, actors and everything like that. And I remember that being, do you remember this kind of mm-hmm. exercise we did with that? Yeah. That And then there were three three bands yeah, on this bus touring Europe, and so we had yeah, just a box of videotapes, and we were able to link all the movies together. And then, like a year yeah. later, what do you mean link them together? Like, like find oh, this actor was in this, of yeah, and so, everything yeah. like that. And then 
It like, was before yeah. that was a thing. And that's what I'm saying. And it was like <laughs> it was like this amazing bonding experience. And then like a year later, the Internet Movie Database came about. And like I, I would tell stories about, oh, this was really amazing. Like how we all used our knowledge of trivia and movies and everything like that and weave together this complex network to connect all these films together. And then it was like, and then the Internet happened. And then it was like, oh, well, okay, there's that. It just, does it it just ruins it. That it joyful... Sort ruins of every argument. Social film connections thing is no longer important because now you can just look it up online. I so re- that thing you loved <laughs> ruined something for me. <laughs> I, I so re- thanks a lot for bringing that up, Chris. <laughs> thanks for I'm really sorry putting I brought me up down. The internet because you had forgotten all about it. You, it's not like you were talking about the internet at all before we started. Like this I podcast. spent half of this movie on the internet movie database, <laughs> doing all those connections. Like, oh, oh, that's right, Stella Stevens was in this movie. <laughs> she was also in Poseidon Adventure. Yeah, which reminds me, what what did that remind me of? The Poseidon Adventure. There was one sorry. last thing. Oh, the Nutty Professor. Oh yeah, too. yeah, yeah. Stella Stevens. Yeah. Uh, the original Nutty Professor, Chris, not the one you've seen. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen either, <laughs> but I'll watch the new one first. Um, is Eddie Murphy the new Nutty Professor? I think so. There might be even another one by now, right? <laughs> right. With um, Isn't there an incredible Mr. Limpet? Then they do a new one of those? Oh, with, like, maybe. Jim Carrey know. or something? <laughs> maybe. I don't think so. But do we think uh, as we as we now have crossed the halfway point... There are things that tie all these films together. It's Nickelodeon by Peter Bogdanovich. That's the, you think that's the... <laughs> Burt Reynolds, Stella Stevens, William Fraker, the cinematographer. I was going to ask did that he cinematographer. Shoot? No, he? he did not oh. shoot Nickelodeon. No, he shot Sharky's Machine, though. Are we picking... Both the president's analysis, analyst and Sharky's Machine was shot by William Fraker. Right. There's, so yeah. there's... And that's a film that I picked and you picked, right? So... Yeah, not not intentional. Are there... Are, are we picking a, a certain genre of film? This is Gen X white dude's film school. <laughs> <laughs> this was... We were going to pick things that we vid- that we rented from video yeah, stores. That's so, true. yeah, it... it so I definitely didn't pick any same yeah, actors. Yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah. I just things that were out, yeah, in the '80s, and but they're not, yeah, not necessarily from the same era, but just not, mo- yeah, definitely not newer movies. But I it was, it was kind of the first time. Well, I guess you could discover, un, you know, unseen films, you know, on television, you know, like the afternoon movie, the three thirty movie, as it was called in the Chicago area, right? Or late night movies mm-hmm. where you'd see these films. But yeah, with VHS, that was the first time where kind of films could have a second life beyond the theater mm-hmm. first run. Well, that's not true though. Television could do that too. And, and so, yeah, but that was kind of like our, so I think like a, a slightly older generation, like, oh, they'd love the reason why they love 30s horror movies, right? Is because they'd see those on TV, right? Right. Whereas this is, yeah, our generation. It's more about the discovering stuff on VHS. So, do our kids have an equivalent of this? <clears throat> because, like, we were digging through video stores to have an experience that we couldn't find anywhere else. Where now, our kids can pretty much find everything, anything they would want. I have an answer for you, but you're not going to like it. Okay. So, since I'm teaching a video class with some 18 to 22 year olds, some slightly older, but um, what's happening, I think, is Pornhub. Is no, that what you're about to say? <laughs> no, YouTube nostalgia. So 
there's like a lot of new YouTubers who are making videos that look like they're from 2007. And oh my God. These, these kids love them because it's like, oh yeah, it's like, it looks like what the kind of video somebody would make in their room, you know, with bad green screen or no green screen and all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I'm watching this, these videos that they're showing and it's, um, yeah, I'm thinking, oh, this is, this is like a 2008 YouTube video and it's like 2019, 2018. Right, and it's 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 nostalgia, it's but the nostalgia is so tight right now. So it's like seeing nostalgia for things that are less than ten years old, and also kind of stylistic things and quality things, right? That that represents so in the same way that somebody who is a Gen X filmmaker, right, would reference seventies filmmaking, right? This is this is you know somebody referencing the kind of look and feel of. Uh, YouTube videos from 10 years ago. It's like Tim and Eric doing a star wipe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, exactly. And I think uh, I referenced Tim and Eric, not not to them, but to somebody else like of our age. And it was like, yeah, it's like the Tim and Eric thing, but it's a much shorter time span, it feels like. <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Well, well. Sorry. Sorry to be the messenger for you there. Sorry. <laughs> I mean, it explains a lot of my kids these days. I I I just do still hold to ninety eight percent of the films that I take my son to see on the big screen at Alamo. He loves. He's just absolutely enraptured with. And the Wild Bunch, you know, I just thought it was awesome. So these kids are not, you know, without the ability to appreciate things. It's just that they. I just I just have to find the Onion article, right? That's that the great my favorite onion article which is like um it has the picture of the father handing the daughter a copy of remain in light and saying you know father uh something like destroys child's hope for you know integrating with their their generation or something like that right it's it's, it's basically <laughs> right, yeah. like this this Top parent yeah, like chance for indoctrinating pop popularity. Yeah, 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 indoctrinating their child into their culture, cultural touchstones, right? So making the and basically making their child into an outcast, right? Because <laughs> it's like, oh, you should listen to Talking Heads, and you should listen, you should watch these Sam Peckinpah movies, right? Which is <laughs> it is funny that he and his friends though have discovered Pink Floyd, <laughs> you know, and they're like, and they're sitting around listening to Pink Floyd, and they're like, you listen to Pink Floyd, I'm like. Pink, Pink Floyd guys, Pink <laughs> Floyd. I mean, they're like they thought they had really come across something, and then I showed them the picture of me emulating the "Wish oh. You Were Here" album cover on the Warner Brothers lot, and they're like, "I'm like, guys, this was taken, you know, in 2003." <laughs> they're just like, "What?" Because <laughs> they thought I had they had introduced me to Pink right, Floyd. Exactly. <laughs> you got to check out this band, man. Pink Floyd. Do they like? Hear of him? What about like early, early Pink, like Sid Barrett? Do they like Sid Barrett? Pink no, Floyd? they're like into. Um, wish you were here. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> not cool, man. <laughs> like the lady said to the sailor, "I think we're done here." <laughs> <laughs> Wait, that's not what the lady says to the sailor. He says two different things, I think, in the movie. Oh, is it? I think he that does. Strange, okay, yeah. we'll go with that because there's also. Depends on how you look at it, I think, was the other <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Lost and Found and Rewound is fully funded by Lost and Found and Rewound Foundation Funds. 
Lost and Found and Rewound does not use crowdfunding because our listeners have better things to do with their funding. There's no need to post reviews of Lost and Found and Rewound because our listeners have more valuable things to do with their time. In all sincerity, thank you for listening to the show. We truly appreciate it. Lotus Pod.